Hello and welcome to PathPod. This is our next episode of Beyond the Scope. Today our host, Dr. Adam Booth of the Northwestern University Feinberg School of Medicine, speaks with Dr. Leisha Joseph, Dr. Rachel Yu, and Dr. Thomas Cummings about pathology patient consultation programs. They'll also be joined by a special guest. Ms. Nancy Weatherill is a participating patient in the program. Dr. Joseph is the Chief of Pathology at Lowell General Hospital. Dr. Yu is the Staff Anatomical Pathologist and Transfusion Medicine Director at William Osler Health System in Canada and creator of pathpertals.com. Dr. Cummings is a Professor of Pathology and Ophthalmology and the Pathology Residency Program Director at Duke University. Now here's your host, Dr. Booth. Hi, thank you for joining me on today's PathPod Beyond the Scope episode. Today we're going to be talking to Dr. Leija Joseph, Dr. Rachel Yug, and Dr. Thomas Cummings about their patient pathologist consultation program that they've started and has really spread throughout the country. First off, Dr. Leija Joseph is Chief of Pathology at Lowell General Hospital. She can be found on Twitter at L-I-J-J-O-S-E-P-H. Dr. Rachel Yug can be contacted through pathpearls.com and is a staff anatomical pathologist and transfusion medicine director at William Osler Health System in Canada. Dr. Thomas Cummings, a professor of pathology and ophthalmology at Duke University, where he also serves as residency program director. He can be found on Twitter at TJCMD888. And we'll also be joined by a very special guest, Ms. Nancy Weatherall. Thank you all for joining me. I'm, I'm really happy to have you here and to learn more about the patient pathologist consultation program, uh, which I myself have been fortunate to be a part of. Welcome. All right. Well, uh, thank you for being here. And, you know, I'd like to start things off by uh, talking to Dr. Joseph, who really kickstarted this program uh, there at Lowell General Hospital. So, Dr. Joseph, can you tell us about that? Of course. Yes. Um, I live and breathe this program, so you wake me up in the middle of the night, I'm happy to talk about it. Um, so back in 2017, I read an article about the role of social media in pathology. I think, Adam, maybe you wrote that article. You and Dr. Allen, I think, had written that. It was fascinating. We discussed it at our weekly journal club, and it was amazing to see what social media is doing for pathologists in the realm of networking, education, and even improving pathology practice. So I contacted Dr. Matt Katz, who's a co-author on the paper that we recently published. He's a radiation oncologist here at Lowell General, and I know that he's a pretty powerful social media influencer and very active on Twitter. So I invited him to speak to us at our next journal club, and instead of just ranting and raving about Twitter, he actually did some research for us and brought specific pathology-related social media platforms and showed us how to navigate it. And so I was so motivated that night, I went home and got a Twitter account. For the first few months, I was just a stalker. I really did not have the courage to tweet anything. Um, but one particular story really tweaked my interest. And I said, wow, I need to read more about it. It was a uh, CAP tweet about a patient, Miss Linnea Olson, 
who traveled from Lowell to Newton to meet with Dr. Misilek, who's a pathologist at Newton Wellesley Hospital. She, she had participated in uh, clinical trials and she wanted to see what lung cancer looked like. It was not even her lung cancer per se. She just wanted to see what lung cancer looked like from anybody. So I was really moved by that story. And I felt that somebody who lives in Lowell shouldn't have to, and who's also dealing with the cancer diagnosis, shouldn't have to travel 26 miles south to uh, Newton to see what um, cancer looks like. And I uh, really wanted to start a program to help the patients in the local community. So that's how this journey started. Now, three years later and close to 120 patients, um, many patients have had the opportunity to view their biopsy in Lowell and not have to travel to Newton. That's really amazing, Dr. Joseph, and, and kind of really inspiring, I guess, how, how that all kind of started and these things came together. Would you, uh, just whenever you wanted to start this, how did the oncologist and the surgeons uh, take that? So um, it definitely was an um, upward journey. I don't want to say <laughs> battle because it wasn't a battle. Um, definitely was a journey because people were like, huh, what? Uh, so I had to explain to them uh, what I planned to do. And people were like, yeah, sure, do it. And I think many of them thought that this was going nowhere. And, you know, why not indulge this curious pathologist who wanted to start this program. Um, I did do my homework. I did, um, my first stop was to meet with Dr. Misilek. I live in Newton, so it wasn't too difficult to just stop by on my way to work and say, um, hi, Mike, can you explain to me how you started it? He truly was very encouraging as well. And he said, this, these were the steps. This is what I did. This is how we do it here at Newton Wellesley. So um, I did want it to be a formal program. They do it mostly in an ad hoc basis. If a patient comes and asks that question, um, I really wanted it to be much more of a formalized program. Uh, so I met with our marketing department. I met with our risk management department. I met with our C-suite people. And um, of course, the department managers, because bringing a patient into our department required certain HIPAA regulations and other uh, guidance that I needed to be sure that we were dotting all the I's and crossing all the T's. Every single person I met was truly supportive and encouraging. And I think that was because I had built a relationship over the previous six years in um, developing a cordial relationship as well as um, developing trust in our program and in our department. So they knew that I was not there to just, you know, do something for myself. This was more of a patient experience. So that's, that's how I got buy-in from all of these people. It was a period of six months or so, or so of calculated strategic planning before I launched the program. 
you know, it's, you know, it's, it's interesting how this all kind of how it came together and uh, how we got to uh, introduced and, and yeah. got to, and how I got, was able to work with you on this. Uh, you know, you mentioned Dr. Mishilek. I was on his digital content committee that he was chair of for the CAP. And we were at a meeting. I think it was in, we were in Arizona and I had mentioned, uh, and I saw, I guess, a tweet from you that he had shared and, and I had like shared it and liked it. And then he offered to introduce us uh, through, you know, since I was interested and I thought that was really cool and, and kind of powerful what you were describing that what you were doing. And, uh, and then there we are. And we were able to, to really, and, you know, I mean, I'm grateful for you for, you know, kind of taking me in and letting me uh, really help, help lead the way on that first research paper that we did yeah. with Dr. Katz and, uh, and with Dr. Allen as well. Yeah on that first group of patients that you saw. And, and so then that's paper can be found in the archives of pathology. Uh, and in that study, we looked at, uh, we talked to 31 patients and that was some of your first patients. I think that you had seen, uh, and it was, we kind of kept it a little simple, a little low tech compared to Rachel's upcoming paper that we'll talk about, but uh, a little low tech. We had, you know, six, six questions with a five point Likert scale and then two open-ended responses. Uh, but the comments and the feedback we got from that were just, uh, you know, really amazing and eye-opening, you know, from patients, you know, I, I want to see my grandkids grow up to, you know, I would have taken my medication uh, as as the oncologist had told me to if I knew this, you know, given that visual really uh, was just so powerful. And I think in one of your patients, the name of the title of that paper, Dr. Joseph, if you if you I mentioned that yeah, there was a quote from one of your patients, right? Yeah. It was amazing how the program grew. And primarily, I think um, the reason we got more and more referrals were because the patients would go back to their oncologist or their primary care physician and say what an amazing experience they had in, in that process of viewing their biopsy and that's how the program grew. It was literally word of mouth. There wasn't much marketing involved at that time. So one particular patient who came um, was truly inspiring in um, those words that she shared with me. Uh, you have helped me see the dragon that I'm going to slay. And I told her at that moment, if I ever write a paper about this program, that's going to be the title. And she said, thank you so much. <laughs> and um, she said her um, children bought her a dog and named it after some dragon in a show called Hunger Games or, or, <laughs> or, or not Hunger Games. I think there was some other dragon story that was <laughs> on TV at that time. So anyway, um, she had this uh, image of dragons and dragon slayers in her mind and that's she saw her tumor as a dragon that she was going to slay so that's how that title came about but it it was truly um, encouraging for me that the patients kept giving me that positive feedback that it was helping them and it was very um, empowering they kept using the words knowledge is power so that's that kind of gave me more um, inspiration to continue the program. Thank you. Yeah, it's, I remember one thing that motivated me to uh, 
you know, really like when you um, started it and it caught my attention at right. One of my uh, family members had breast cancer and, uh, and she had gone through, she had read a lot and searched, you know, all the information she could, she could find and, you know, read about the different variants and subtypes and, and uh, histologic patterns and things. So I, you know, I, I knew there was, um, you know, there was a patient like her out there that would, that they would want to, to see that and that would help them somehow. So thank you. And then, so, so this paper uh, was published and then it really kind of uh, ballooned from there with Dr. Hugh and Dr. Cummings there at Duke University uh, taking hold and really just kind of, uh, I don't want to say like, I just, just blown it up. You know, they took yeah. it in, you know, across the country. So Dr. Yu, could you tell us some about that? Yeah, I'd be happy to. And Dr. Joseph, I hope that you sent your Dragon Slayer patient a copy of your paper. I'm sure <laughs> she'd be happy to see how successful your program has become. Yeah, good idea. I didn't think about that. I will do that. I'm sure she'll like it. <laughs> <laughs> so I initially got involved with patient-centered pathology through the wellness scope. So Dr. Cummings had mentored me for my Grand Rounds presentation when I was a resident at Duke. And um, we were looking at patient-centered pathology through the context of helping pathologists that were practicing attendings or trainees to battle burnout. And we were really exploring the connection between building relationships with patients and helping pathologists bring meaning to their work by getting positive feedback and reinforcement about how much their work really means to patients and how much it helps them. So I presented this at Grand Rounds and uh, we surveyed all of the pathologists at Duke about burnout and presented how we thought that patient-centered pathology would be a way to tackle this. And our chair, Dr. Huang, was very encouraging of the program. And we had pathologists in the department that were excited to participate. And like Dr. Joseph said, we didn't just snap our fingers and start the program. It took extensive planning, meeting with risk management, legal, the C-suite, the board of directors. Poor Dr. Cummings had to advocate so strongly for this. So we met a lot of different people in the hospital as a result of this. But um, Dr. Jang, who all the PathPod listeners know well, was attending my Grand Rounds presentation. And she's very social and very involved in the CAP. And she introduced me to Dr. Joseph because I actually talked about Dr. Joseph's program in my Grand Rounds. So she made the connection. And thereafter, Dr. Joseph, Dr. Cummings, and I uh, embarked on this multi-institutional study to test how patients would experience patient-centered pathology, and we wanted to bring it to centers across the United States. And we had a lot of interested participants, and we ended up with four institutions successfully completing their IRB approval, data transfer agreements, and being getting the support of their pathology chairs and institutions. So that's how our program kind of evolved. Well, I, you know, as a resident, I can't imagine trying to go through all those different hoops and, and the red tape. So I'm glad you had Dr. Cummings there to help you out. Dr. Cummings. Me too. Was, <laughs> <laughs> so Dr. Cummings, that, 
It sounds like Dr. Yug was very fortunate to have you there to help her navigate the C-suite and, you know, kind of the more of the red tape behind the scenes stuff uh, to try to get this program started. Because I'm sure as a resident, you know, it can be just day to day can be tough, but trying to deal with all those things is a whole other issue. Can you tell us about that, Dr. Cummings? Yes. Again, thank you for having me today. And I kind of see my role, my experience, almost like a biphasic type way. I would call it BPD and APD, before program director and after program director. Before being program director, as was mentioned earlier, I, I had seen many patients kind of on an ad hoc basis. I have excellent relationships with the uh, clinical colleagues I deal with in my practice. And I would meet with patients and talk about their pathology and show them slides. I even met one on the weekend because they were in town. They were, you know, an outside patient. And it was very satisfactory to me, but I feel like, you know, it was a dead end street because I got all the good stuff and I wasn't really sharing it. So then, as, uh, as Rachel knows better than anyone, I'm minding my own business, leading the great, beautiful life. And I got the phone call one day asking me if I would be able to take over as residency program director. And I said, well, I don't know. I don't know anything about it. I've never done it. Um, when do you want me to begin? They said, can you begin today? And I said, uh, oh, okay. <laughs> so now I'm thrust into this new position. And um, so then clearly I need to know about resident education. And so now I'm reading all the surveys and talking to the residents. And as I became, as I, you know, immediately became engaged in that, it was immediately apparent that these were real issues, as Dr. Duke mentioned. Burnout, lack of satisfaction in what we do, the feeling of, you know, does it really matter what I do on an everyday basis? And I think especially for residents, I think for all of us, as we come out of medical school, you know, we're in medical school, you just kind of assume you're going to be going to internal medicine. I wanted to go into internal medicine, like, for a long time or surgery, or a pediatrician, or whatever it may be, and now all of a sudden you're a pathologist. And I think at that point you're in, you know, there's a tangible risk of being disassociated from that, you know, that really special physician-patient bond and relationship. Clearly, as pathologists, we have a different type of relationship with our patients. You know, we... You know, as a surgical pathologist, my patients are on glass slides. And so, so I think there is that risk, okay? For example, when I sign out a brain biopsy as glioblastoma, there's a sequence of events from the minute I sign that out, what happens next? Think about the psychological trauma to the patient, getting a really life-altering diagnosis, like any diagnosis we might give. And then how our, you know, oncologists react and everything that goes into effect. So, you know, I said, how could we use this program maybe to help our residents to maybe, you know, not be so disassociated from what we do and to actually see the faces that go with the glass slides. So when Rachel and I started this program up, 
whenever I would meet with a patient, either the resident on the service with me or the fellow, and I would open it up essentially to anyone to come and join in. Usually it would only be one or two residents, sometimes three. And of course, I would introduce them to the patient. The patient frequently had a family or two member or some friends with them. And it was just, to me, like going on internal medicine rounds in the hospital where you've got a, you know, a group of people and you interact with the patient. And, you know, I can tell you one patient told me flat out, this has been the best face-to-face -face consultation I've had with a doctor since my diagnosis. I could, you know, the resident came to me afterward and said, wow, this is like really impactful. This has been the best 45 minutes of my residency. And so I think, you know, I think these things, um, they can move the needle. And, you know, I know as we're going to get into, there's a lot that goes into it. You need in academia, you need the support of your chair, right? We can get into the time and effort and, you know, how do you bill and are you making money? And if you're not, why aren't you? And you could be writing papers and you could be signing out more cases. And I get it. We could get into that. You know, I'm luckily at a position in my career where, you know, to me, it's not about money. It's not about prestige. It's not about getting more promotions. You know, I prefer to get invited to things and give them to my junior faculty or residents or fellows and let them get all the credit. I don't need it. I quite frankly don't want it, you know. So I think this program um, can really maybe fit a nice niche. What I would envision maybe one day a month for a half a day, that's my clinic day where patients sign up, they come to see me and Dr. Joseph and in the near future, Dr. Yug and Dr. Booth and anyone else listening who would be interested. And that's your clinic day. The patients come, they pay a copay. I don't care about the copay. I would take the copay and give it to the residency program. But if you're going to go see any other physician in the United States, you're gonna pay a copay. We are physicians. Why not us? Why not have it bundled into the day when they come to see the neuro-oncologist and then they go to see radiology for another MRI? Just build in the pathology visit in that kind of package deal, if you like, which, again, I don't know where the economics of medicine is going in the future, but that's one possible route, you know? That's kind of the way I see it. And like Dr. Joseph mentioned, uh, visualization is very powerful, right? When the patient sees that slide and sees those malignant tumor cells and can really envision, you know, what their enemy is, and now they can envision their T cells with machine guns shooting down these cells. And it's not just for us. I mean, if anybody out there is into golf or hockey or any other great sports, what does Tiger Woods do before he hits every golf shot? He visualizes the shot he's going to hit. And then he goes out and does it, right? A great hockey player knows where they're shooting the puck. They visualize it the second the puck is on their stick. Same thing for us. Patients should be able to visualize what's going on in their pathology diagnosis. Well, thank you, Dr. Cummings. You know, it's interesting you, you, you talk about visualizing things. And when you mentioned that, that kind of face-to-face -face interaction, it reminded me of, of something I've experienced here. Uh, where there's a picture uh, in some of the EMRs, there's a picture of the patient. So when I go into the chart and I'm, I'm reading about the patient and what's going on, uh, you know, I see this, 
I see this person and not, not just on the glass slide is their tissue, but I see their face and, you know, maybe they're smiling or maybe they're not smiling, but it, it really like, you know, it kind of like it hits you more. And it's interesting just that, just having a picture of them there with their chart. And uh, so I, it kind of goes both ways in that sense, I guess. Um, but yeah, really, really that's, it's been as kind of a striking thing, you know, sometimes to see that, especially whenever you're making a diagnosis that's, you know, you'd rather not have to make, but uh, you know. You that's, mentioned it, Adam, in your paper, actually, um, um, that when they did a study, when radiologists actually had access to the image of the patient on the record, yeah. the accuracy of the read was better. I believe it. I believe it. I, I hope that's not true. I hope I do that always. <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, I believe it. I believe, it. you know, it brings it to life. And I'd also like to introduce a special guest today, Miss Nancy Weatherall, who is a, a laboratory technician there at Lowell General Hospital with Dr. Joseph. And Dr. Ms. Weatherall, would you uh, please share with us uh, kind of who you are and, and what you're going to be talking to us about? Uh, my name is Nancy Weatherall, and um, I had the pleasure, a, a wonderful experience with Dr. Joseph. Um, she read my biopsy, and we were able to look at it under the microscope together. And um, we were able to discuss my biopsy results versus normal tissue. And for me, um, that was really, really powerful to be able to look at normal cells and then to be able to look at my abnormal cells. I, I think it was, it gave me different perspective and maybe made me understand a little bit more about my disease. She, it was great. It was a great experience. And I wish that all people and all patients would be able to experience this sit down kind of a meeting with Dr. Joseph or any pathologist. Um, I learned a lot and it gave me really a great sense of peace and relieved a lot of my anxiety um, and reassured me um, that I was in a good place and I was in good hands and that I had one more doctor looking out for me. Yeah, when um, Nancy said that, it was truly um, motivating for me to be part of her care team mm. um, to see that the decisions that we make looking through the microscope truly impacts um, patients in a very powerful way. So mm -hmm. to be part of that, her care team was critical for me. Yes, it was good to have one more you have so many doctors as a patient to have one more doctor on your team to know that they're looking out for you, that they're on your team with all the other doctors. It made a great, uh, for me, it made a great sense of reassurance that I was on the right path and that I was being well taken care of. And for my emotional uh, journey, this was super helpful for peace of mind for me. And I, I, like hope, I hope that more patients can, can have access to this program. 
if this is the initial start, then this would be great if all patients had access to this. I mean, imagine if you were a patient and you had access to all of these doctors, all of this great knowledge and experience and expertise, wouldn't that make you feel so much better? Right? I, I, I'm biased, but I certainly would like to. <laughs> right? And if I had that experience and I was lucky enough to have Dr. Joseph, all patients, all patients should have this experience, this wonderful experience of knowing what they're dealing with and that they have another person there. She's wonderful. <laughs> I just want to say I did not pay her to say this. <laughs> <laughs> no, <laughs> no conflict of interest here. <laughs> what do you think was the very the most impactful thing that you would share with a you know a, a, a future patient or someone that was just recently diagnosed with a, 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 a severe um, disease or? Yeah, or um, I think for me the most powerful thing. Um, was to see my tissue that's abnormal compared to someone's that's that's normal. So I can see the change and it really made it real for me um, that and it was believable. And um, it, it, it just gave me a new perspective that um, that it's real and it's happening and, and it's a it helped me to understand more of my disease. Where is it headed to? Um, it just answered a lot of my questions. Did you find yourself kind of reimagining that and, and visualizing it again as you were going through your, your therapy and treatments? Um, I, I did. I, it is truly a great, I'm a visual learner. So it was great for me to kind of focus on that and and think about that. And then in my decisions, my daily decisions, should I go and exercise or should I sleep in? I should exercise. <laughs> should I take my, my XYZ pills? I should, because I know this is my issue. And these things have been said to me, you should do this, you should do this, you should do this. And so now I do, because I keep that visual right there in the front of my brain that says, this is real. And you should do this because it's important. I'm just curious, uh, as you, when you're growing up and in, in, in your training and education, did you find yourself as like a visual learner more often? Yes, I, <laughs> I'm definitely a visual learner. And I, I taught special ed for a little bit. And a lot of people are visual learners. And I can see why it's so powerful to have an image in front of you versus a lot of times you hear and it's just background. Mm -hmm. It just becomes background, but seeing something, you can keep re-seeing it. Thank you. What would you say to a patient that was just diagnosed uh, as far as, you know, they say they got their pathology report and mm -hmm. their, uh, the clinician that did the, you know, biopsy, we'll say, um, has just told them the results of that report. Um, what would you say to that patient with regards to pathology? Um, I would say it's, it was, it's great to have the pathologist next to you to, to trust them, to know that that's, that's their area of expertise. 
So they should look at that pathologist name at the bottom of that form or that report and uh, try to give them a call and ask them a question if they have a question. Yes. I mean, they're there. They're a valuable resource. I, you know, Dr. Joseph has her area of expertise and, and reach out to them and call and ask questions and to, to sort of untangle some of the things that, that are confusing them or, and it also gives you a greater picture of what's going on. So yes, by all means, reach out. They're very accessible. I find Dr. Joseph to be very accessible. Um, yeah, it, it's a great thing to have her here. Thank you for joining us, Ms. Weatherall, and sharing your story. And, and you know, I hope others that hear this can learn from that. And it encourages them to, you know, as if they're a pathologist, it encourages them to, uh, to not shy away from talking to their patients or having their patients come visit them and see their own tissue. And if they're a patient, I hope they uh, will take up that opportunity to reach out to their own pathologist. Mm-hmm. As we are, you know, physicians and you're our patient, and we, we want to help out any way we can. Excellent. Thank you. I'm so happy I did this. Thank you so much for joining us. And Dr. Dr. Joseph, so Dr. Cummings also mentioned his his clinic, his half-day clinic. And I know there at Lowell General, with the support of the hospital, put together your own, you know, your own pathology clinic. Can you tell us about that, please? Yes. Um, so the clinic is formalized in the patient um, serving area. In some ways, the pandemic kind of pushed us into that um, set, that aspect of you know keeping the patient care area safe and secure and clean. So I leveraged that opportunity um, and said, you know what, we do not want patients coming into the lab uh, where we are processing specimens. Uh, can you provide us some clinic space? And of course. Uh, having experienced the success of the program and having heard from patients like Nancy who gives feedback to the organization, it was a natural next step for me to open up the clinic. And the clinic space was available on Tuesday afternoons. And I said, sure, I'll take that. So we have 30-minute time slots that are built into the clinic and uh, patients can um, check in, they can call the um, operator or call our department and schedule a clinic time. So I have actually um, um, structured my patient pathology clinic um, experience for the patient based on a a TED talk that I watched. Um, Dr. Abraham Burgess had a very interesting TED talk about the ritual of exam. And he goes deeply into how that patient-physician relationship is so much of um, a precious experience that the patient longs for that experience. And that was very moving for me. And I really thought long and hard about how that 30 minutes has to be valuable and meaningful for the patient and uh, over, uh, over a period of time in ex- um, meeting with over 100 patients now, 127, I think, I have two next week scheduled. Um, so um, I said there, there is a certain structure that seems to work for e- these patient consults. And that's, that seems to work for my clinic. 
and I'm so proud to talk about my clinic. Uh, uh, and that's that's what I do. I always spend about five minutes before ahead of time, like usually the day before or the week before. Um, my team here knows what I do. So they kind of gather the slides, make sure they have the report there for me. They have the slides for me. I review it. Um, I actually have a package, including the patient's consent form and a thank you card, along with my business card. All of it is together in a package. Um, that's my ritual. When I go meet with the patient, I introduce myself because that patient has never seen me before. I also introduce uh, if there is a patient, most of the patients come with a family member or a spouse or a friend um, or a child. So I introduce myself to them. I make sure that the patient consents for that person who's accompanying them to be present in the room. Um, and then we have a um, microscope that is connected to a TV and I don't, coincidence or fortuitously, I don't know. Um, it just happens that this patient consult visit actually happens in our multidisciplinary conference room where we actually discuss the patient's um, slides in the radio. You know. So I tell, I actually is powerful for the patient to see the surgeon sits here, the radiologist sits here, I sit here, the social worker sits here, the nutritionist sits here. And they can visualize what happens in that room and the power of the team of people who are actually um, all coming together to take care of them. And that is very powerful for the patient. I then um, always show the patient their name on the glass slide. Over my um, experience with this program, I have seen a moment that is very powerful for that experience is for the patient to see their name on the glass slide. Suddenly they say, that is me? Wow. So I, I always do that. I do spend a few minutes trying to explain how tissue is processed because it's all pink and purple. And I tell them your body is not <laughs> pink and purple. So um, that is um, again, something that really helps them conceptualize it. And I also explain to them, um, I show them the microscope and the magnification on the scope and say that what you're going to see on the TV screen is really zoomed up. The real size of what you're seeing is on this glass slide. So that interaction with the glass slide is powerful for them. And then I Always at the beginning, I know I have 30 minutes with them. Their time is precious. My time is precious. So I do ask them if they have specific questions uh, that are pathology related. I will make sure I know that so that I can incorporate that in my ritual. Um, I then also um, at the end of the patient concert, and each, each patient is different. The interaction goes in various directions, but I always make sure I show them normal before I show them abnormal. And as you heard from Nancy, it is really powerful for them to see what is normal. At the end of the meeting, I take down notes or I, I make sure I know that I am not answering questions that I am not an expert on. 
basically, if they're asking questions about treatment or side effects of certain drugs, I tell them that I will make sure that their oncologist or their surgeon or whoever knows that this is something that is still not clear for them and that I will communicate to their primary team. That has really been powerful for buy-in from the oncologist and the surgeons to continue referring patients because I am not stepping on their toes or in their turf. Um, I just stick to my area of expertise. That has been an important element of this. Um, I always send a note to the referring team. I put in a note in the patient's chart. And as Dr. Cummings mentioned, that has been a critical element in um, getting insurance um, payment. Uh, we routinely build the insurance and we have routinely been successful in getting um, payments from insurance companies. I always am very upfront with the patient um, that it is a certain, we will um, build the insurance and if they do not cover it, it is a very minimal amount that they have to pay out of pocket. And when I disclose that, they are very grateful. There is no surprise billing here. It is all very transparent. Um, and that whole process and uh, sharing my business card, which actually has my cell phone number with the patient um, was a bold move. But mm -hmm. honestly, I just want to tell everyone who's listening, patients are extremely respectful. They really don't reach out to you if they, if they you know, just frivolously, they just, if they have a question that is sincere, and this really bothering them. I've had of this 127, one patient called me, and that was to specifically um, understand a specific question regarding um, tag placement or something. So it was very valid, and I, it was a bold move, I must say. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, Dr. Joseph. You know, one thing you mentioned was, uh, and it's it's kind of a, a concern I've heard from other pathologists about a program like this was, you know, what if the patient asks you, uh, you know, questions about their drugs or their treatments or, you know, uh, questions that you're not, we're not, you know, we're pathologists, we're not trained to answer those. And, and my response has always been, well, you tell them that that's not your area and yeah. say that, you know, that's a question for this, this physician or that physician, the, the one that's handling that aspect of it. Did you experience the same thing, Dr. Cummings? Uh, yes. You know, in fact, what I was going to add on to what Dr. Joseph expertly has said is for anyone who does want to get into this, never underestimate your patient. I mean, they come armed and ready and they're well-read and they know what they're talking about. And what I often do upon first meeting them, we'll sit down at the microscope to um, compare what Dr. Joseph has. We have in our chair suite, at Duke, our chair has a nice little side room with a microscope for a multi-headed sign-out that he can do with residents and fellows. And his administrative assistant in there is there. So when the patients come, they can get greeted. They can sit down. Uh, Patricia is extremely, you know, personable and makes them feel very comfortable and at home. And then she'll call me. I'm right down the hall. I'll come in with residents and fellows. And when we sit around the scope, I'll frequently say, you know, can everybody just tell me what your level of 
you know, knowledge might be. And sometimes you have a family member who is a histotechnician, I mean, a histotechnologist. And sometimes, you know, the husband or the wife is a surgeon of the patient. So never underestimate uh, your patients and be prepared. And I would say, just don't think you can go in there and wing it and say, yeah, this is your glioblastoma because uh, you want to be prepared. Did you experience uh, either of you, Dr. Joseph, Dr. Cummings? Um, I know it, Dr. Cummings is focused more on, on uh, neuropathology and Dr. Joseph has, is more kind of, I guess, more general there in a community hospital setting. Was there any, any difference in the, the way the patients uh, reacted to, you know, their different diagnoses versus like a hematolymphoid uh, diagnosis or a, like a brain tumor or a breast cancer? Did you find any difference there? Because, you know, hematolymphoid malignancies, like you can't really see them. They may not feel well or a brain tumor, they can't see it. You don't, you may not feel well, but uh, a breast cancer, you know, they may feel a lump there. So there may be something physically that they can see. Uh, did you, did you see any difference there in the patients and the way they kind of uh, reacted to seeing their tissue? Um, I can, I can go first. If, um, yes, we have seen a wide variety of patients um, all the way from breast cancer to CML to CLL um, and even non-neoplastic processes, myeloma as well. So, the answer is no. Honestly, the, what Dr. Cummings said is absolutely true to never underestimate the patient. I would want to add to that. If you have such woke patients, why would you not want to meet with them? It is so fulfilling to really interact one-on-one -on -one with these intelligent people who are trying to deal with the disease and to be part of their journey and help them understand their disease. Pretty much every single one of them who have either written thank you notes to me, who have sent me cookie boxes, <laughs> um, have said knowledge is power. It truly is power. But none of them, there is no difference. It may be a true subset of patients that come to view their biopsies, but those who come are truly... Um, seeking knowledge, and it's very empowering and fulfilling to meet them. Is anything on, on that, Dr. Cummings? As far I, I guess you focus mostly on neuropathology. So, has is that all your cases been that? I've I've mostly neuropathology, but I also practice ophthalmic pathology, and I have seen patients with ocular diseases, uh, not necessarily malignant just, you know, severe um, pathology involving the eye. And like Dr. Joseph said, uh, they, they really just want to learn more. They want to understand more. We are the experts. One expert on the team, of course, and we have a lot to offer them. And they almost, I would say in my experience, unanimously leave that consultation very grateful, very thankful. One patient said I was an angel, and I can neither confirm nor deny that. But not too many, uh, you know. I'm, you know, I'm, I can be a controversial figure sometimes, and uh, not too many people are calling me angels. So I respect that. 
Dr. Yug, as a so as a trainee doing this as a resident, and then uh, as a fellow there at, at Duke, I know last year, um, what was your experience? You know, I you know they talk about you know being prepared with your knowledge and and you know you're the expert, and uh, you and I in our trainee like kind of situation currently are training to be the expert. So, what was that experience like for you, um, sitting there with the patient and uh, and the pathologist that that you know had maybe made that diagnosis? I shared similar experiences to Dr. Cummings and Dr. Joseph with very receptive, grateful, engaged patients. I felt like all of those whose consultations at which I was present were very comfortable with me in the room, comfortable with my input into the session. And I felt like they were just open to discussion with all of the experts in the room and they liked hearing a different perspective. And I think they enjoyed sort of the academia aspect in the regard that their tumor also provided so much education to trainees and they saw the importance with which we viewed their tumor so much so that we would meet with them. We used it as a teaching tool. So many eyes were looking at their case to give them the best care possible. So I think that the majority of patients were very receptive to having trainees involved. And then, so I guess, how did that, how did that make you feel? I really enjoyed the visits with the patients. I'm kind of extroverted, so I really enjoy the interaction. And I think coming back to what motivated me to get engaged with meeting with patients in the first place, I think it really gives me a sense of purpose and reinforces the connection with the patient. Like you were saying, seeing their face on the screen, uh, going a step further and meeting with them and being able to explain their pathology to them, I think is a really great experience for the patient and the pathologist. And I think that's also why I went into cytopathology and transfusion medicine. I can meet with patients to conduct biopsies on them, to consult with them preoperatively, to optimize their hemoglobin for patient blood management. So I think there's a lot of opportunities for pathologists to get involved in direct patient care and already pathologists are doing this. And I think that it's something that we should highlight to trainees because it will just show medical students all that pathology has to offer so that people who are interested in pathology, and as Dr. Cummings said, so many med students come in and they think, okay, I'm gonna be a cardiologist or a surgeon and they don't view pathologists as real doctors and think they're just lab people. But pathologists are real doctors in a lot of ways and can even see patients if that's something that you're interested in. Yeah. I mean, you've actually, I mean, kind of created a new way to see patients, uh, Dr. Joseph, in this situation. So, you know, it's not, uh, even if you were doing it kind of ad hoc, you know, whenever necessary, but, you know, this is a whole other avenue that, that is available. I hope it does attract more, more students to pathology because I, you know, I, I probably like others, you know, like, I remember when are you going into Adam pathology, but you're so good with patients. Well, you know, I can still, uh, can still, you know, have those kinds of opportunities. Uh, Rachel, how was your experience, you know, sitting down with a microscope with the, with the patient? How did that, how was that kind of influence your 
cytopathology, uh, your fellowship there in that practice, and then now as a transfusion medicine fellow? Well, I think like any skill that you develop in residency, you need to practice. So being able to make a diagnosis takes a lot of training, years of training. So does consulting with patients. So I think being exposed to patient consultation in residency and fellowship helps you build on that skill, communicating with patients. And it's almost like teaching. So as a resident, you have a lot of duties teaching, say, medical students, junior residents, and I think it's just an expansion of that role that pathologists so often fill and just reiterates that you need to be a strong communicator to meet with patients, but also advocate for your patients to bring this program to your hospital. So I think it really helps you develop so many skills that will help you in your profession, and it just reinforced that to me the importance of this skill for pathologists. You know, it's, it's, I'm glad you, you stated it that way because that's another one of the concerns that I've heard from folks. It's been a long time since I talked to patients. How can I, you know, how can I do that? Or how do I prepare for that? Some of pathologists are not necessarily known as being very social, good communicators, and which is a skill that we do need as pathologists. Um, would, would you, Dr. Joseph, could you offer any insights into that as far as you know, how you went about that or, or Dr. Cummings, how you, how you both kind of prepared. And let Dr. Cummings go first this time. <laughs> yeah, that's a, you know, that's a great question. And, uh, you know, I mean, clearly this is not for everyone and it will be a very individualized decision whether or not you want to participate in a program such as this. I, you know, personally, I mean, look, I went to medical school I did have some non-pathology clinical training before going into pathology. And I honestly don't think any clinicians get training in this, right? You graduate medical school, you go into residency. At least when I, you know, when I came out of medical school, there were no classes on how to talk to patients. And I think, you know, I mean, I think we all know a lot of physicians across the board and, you know, some are probably people you'd rather talk to than others. Um, you know, I mean, let's be honest. And so I just be myself. You know, I look at it like this. Every other human being has already been taken, so I can only be myself. <laughs> and, you know, at the end of the day, you know, the patients will say if they're going to take it or leave it. And if they're not happy, they'll tell my clinical colleagues. And then it'll get back to me probably. And... You know, if I can just non sequitur here while I think of it, some of our listeners may wonder, how are all these patients finding Dr. Joseph and Dr. Cummings? And Dr. Joseph mentioned she has her clinical colleagues and they help refer as patients. One other thing that I don't think has been mentioned, and you can probably read it in the paper and get the exact verbiage, but every time I sign out a case, I invite the patient to call me with my email and a little statement that says, you know, I am your pathologist. I am part of your clinical team. If you would like to learn more about your diagnosis, and if you would like to meet me and review your slides under the microscope, please send me a note in your electronic health record, or call me or email me or, you know, call my wife or kids or go to, go to my house, <laughs> whatever it takes, and we'll, we'll find a way to do it. 
I completely okay. agree. Um, I think it is a misconception out there that pathologists are not good communicators. We are the doctor's doctor. We communicate all the time. We write reports. We talk on the phone more often than most others probably. This is just an extension of our communication skills. And as Rachel's paper clearly stated, I know it is a subset of um, pathologists who participated in that survey, but every single patient said that the communication skills were excellent. So just use words that the patients can relate to. And that's the only difference. And beyond that, I really don't think you need to feel intimidated about meeting with the patient or using words that they may not understand. You'll be surprised. They understand a lot. So I would strongly encourage um, everyone to meet with their patient. It's cool. You know, it's not, it's not for the patient too. They're, they're seeing other doctors also. So, I mean, we may be seeing one patient, but they're seeing several doctors about this same, you know, overlying illness, you know, and, you know, to, to take a point, you know, we did all go to medical school and we all went through the training of how to take an H H and P and how to do a physical exam and, you know, how to talk to the patient. So we've all done this and gone through this process. So it's not like it just kind of vanishes from our abilities just because we went into pathology and not to mention all the other conferences and things like that, that we present at teach at um, and others. So I, I think it's, you know, I, like Dr. Joseph said, I don't think we need to be uh, intimidated about it. So we've got a few more minutes. Uh, and so I'd like to ask uh, each of you, I'll start with Dr. Yug. Uh, you know, can you just tell us what was one, you know, what's, what's really, what's one great experience that you had that you kind of took home and, and like, you know, that stuck with you uh, through this patient consultation program? Okay, so we learned about so many heartfelt stories through our program and experience, but one that particularly struck me was that of a mother and daughter who saw one of our pathologists who helped confirm an inherited mitochondrial disorder, which had been eluding a formal diagnosis and afflicting their family for multiple generations. Our pathologist not only gave them a diagnosis, but explained it to them compassionately and gave them the knowledge that they needed to really seek the care and treatments that would finally help them address this mysterious disease. And they wrote in their survey that spending time communicating with the pathologist was the most helpful thing that has happened to their family. And that completely validated patient-centered pathology for me. Thank you. Dr. Joseph? I have so many stories. <laughs> I really am struggling to see which one to share, but I'll share one that was very recent. I had a 80-year-old patient who could not speak English. One word of English. He came with his daughter to view his biopsy so that he could ha- understand what was going on in his body and just the eagerness of the patient and his daughter to truly see what is going on and to truly comprehend that moment, that aha moment when they say, ah, that's what's going on. Um, It just was very moving for me. And I really, um, it made me realize it doesn't, there shouldn't be a barrier of, 
skin color or language or country or whatever other status that you have, we should be there for every patient that we serve. And I'll leave you with that thought. Dr. Cummings? Yes, beautifully said, Dr. Joseph. And as has been mentioned, you know, we are frequently thought of as the doctor's doctor, meaning, for example, we do a frozen section, we, you know, we discuss it with the surgeon that might have an impact on what happens. But I think in reality, we're the patient's doctor, right? We're all, I mean, we're taking care of the patient. And yes, we're, you know, we're all on the same team. Uh, I'll just end quickly. I can think of one patient, young patient, college type student. Um, was diagnosed with a brain tumor, had a biopsy. Uh, it was a little controversial what the diagnosis was. Patient came to Duke for another opinion. I reviewed the case. I decided it was a, a grade one, low grade benign tumor. And that kind of settled it. And uh, the patient came with his parents. And I remember that kid just looking at me and saying, wow, I feel like I have my life back. I've been so worried about dying from a brain tumor. And now you've just encouraged me that it's benign. You know, it's most likely I will live the rest of my life and this won't give me any more problems. I can go back to college. I'm what a study to be an engineer. I, you know, it was very moving. And I remember the parents, the dad was very stoic, just kind of sat there, didn't really say anything. I didn't even, couldn't even tell if he liked me or not. And at the end, he just stood up, shook my hand, and said, man, you're the best. Wow. Uh, you know, things like this get really ingrained in your memory. Mm -hmm. So, Adam, I think your final words in the article that you wrote was very powerful. I was reading it again today as I was preparing for this podcast, and I thought this is the highlight of what you had written at that time. Uh, I'll read it to you. Pathologists evaluating tissue through the microscope have low power and high power objectives. But a pathologist looking in the microscope, educating a patient has real power. Support for the Free Path Pod podcast comes from listeners who like it and share it with their friends. So go ahead, send someone the link. And be sure to subscribe to Path Pod wherever you download your podcasts. Path Pod is for educational and entertainment purposes only and is not medical advice. As always on the podcast, any views expressed are solely those of the person speaking and do not necessarily represent their employers, their affiliated institutions, affiliated professional organizations, other speakers on the program, their friends, their families, their pets, or anyone involved in the production and distribution of this podcast. Thanks for listening to PathPod.